Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to the Really 007 podcast for this special interview with none other than Mr. Anthony Stark, best known to Bond fans, of course, for playing Truman Lodge in License to Kill. You can find us and listen to us on iTunes and Spotify, and we're on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So with me tonight are my good men, John Kell and Rob Parker, who I'm sure have got plenty to ask Anthony. This will be our first transatlantic, uh, sorry, transatlantic broadcast, of course, as Anthony is uh, joining us from sunny LA, I believe. So, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm trans all of a sudden, and I didn't even know. What's a way to announce it, Anthony? What's a way? It's a late discovery, mate. It's a late discovery. <laughs> and he's got a good British accent as well. <laughs> So yes, Mr. Anthony Stark, of, of course he has appeared in what we regard as the finest Bond film. We did vote it as uh, the number one in our list. He's also made countless appearances on stage, film and TV. Uh, I was just looking at your CV, Anthony, of course, doing my research for this, for this uh, episode. And Thank I've you, noticed it, It's well, you know, not everybody does, do they? No, Some people no. in England don't. Yeah. I, I did a podcast a couple a couple of months ago, and I, I was carrying this guy on my back like a Sherpa. I felt like I was coming to pay two. He had like three questions, and I managed to do 46 minutes. So go ahead. You're fine. <laughs> so anytime you want to take over hosting, that's, that's completely fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was just saying, some of, the, some of the people you've worked with in your career, absolutely outstanding. Tom Hanks I've got here. Leslie Nielsen, of course, from Repossessed. Heather Graham, Paul Savino, George Clooney, and I have to say this, Rob's favourite action star of all time, Mr. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Ah, uh, yes, yes. He, uh, <laughs> I, did a, I, did a, I did a movie with him called Nowhere to Run, where oh, I played man. this, uh, this, this uh, kind of, uh, of dim-witted guy from Montana who breaks him out of a prison bus, and we have a brief uh, <laughs> fight scene, and then I get, I get shot in the neck and die. You yeah, know, that, and, uh, you're in that movie. You, uh, you steal that movie. Oh well, you steal, you know, yeah, yeah. You steal as, the as entire a, movie. As a, as a silhouetted corpse on his shoulder as he's getting ready to bury me. 
I was, I was compelling. <laughs> um, but, uh, he was, he was an interesting dude. You know, he was fun to work with, you know, it's just like, uh, he's just one time said to me, Oh, Tony, you're a very good actor. And I thought, I don't know how to take that, but thank you. You know, so, <laughs> but yeah, he was, he was fun. Uh, nice guy. And you know, I will say this, I, I'm a lifelong martial artist myself. And the guy is a phenomenal athlete. He takes a lot of guff from people, but not many people can move like that. Really? Uh, I'm on another podcast as well, Anthony, and we talk often about JCBD because oh, yeah. his, like, uh, growing up with, there's a gamut of films I grew up with, you know, License to Kill is in that bracket, Die Hard's in there as well, but oh, yeah. um, the, the, the early 90s JCBD stuff. So when I saw that you were in two of those projects, I was like, whoa, yeah. whoa, whoa, you know, so, <laughs> uh, yeah, a long time fan <laughs> here, man. So, um, uh, you guys, yeah. are, you, are you familiar with the uh, Woody Allen film Zelig? You know, where this guy just keeps popping up in the background everywhere. Like, there's all oh, these yeah, I know of it. It's just, yeah, I know. yeah. There, there he is again. There's that guy. That's, <laughs> that's my career. You know? yeah. Yeah. No, I don't think that's right. I, 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 just imagine peop- I just imagine people at home going, honey, honey, it's that guy again. Yeah. <laughs> he won't stop popping up on my television. Yeah. Anthony, I, I can back that up. I was watching Suits the other day and I ah. just nudged my wife in it. Truman Lodge, he's right there. <laughs> yeah, that's, right. that's right. Working with, uh, unbeknownst to me, working with future royalty. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there we go. Yeah, so yeah. You mentioned a few of those names. Is it, was it your first film, Gary Marshall's Nothing in Common, that you yes, with Tom Hanks? Yes, it was. My first, fe- first feature film. Very exciting. It was a bunch of Chicago actors, mostly improvisers. And um, because much of that film was improvised, all the stuff in the advertising agency, I um, kind of BS'd my way into this movie. I confessed it to Gary like 25, 30 years later when I was working with him on, on a play, the last play he directed. And um, I, I was like just out of college and I got this audition for him in Chicago. And most of the people he had cast already were like the top improvisers from Second City, the top improv group uh, in the States. And um, I had an initial audition. And uh, I did something funny with the material I was given, I guess. And he said, uh, so, because Gary had a very interesting way of talking. He goes, so, do you do the improv? You know, the improv <laughs> where you just make it up. And um, I said, uh, yes, actually, I uh, have my own improv group up in Milwaukee. We're called Razor's Edge because it's completely based on audience suggestions, nothing prepared. And um, that was completely bullshit. I just made it up. And, and, and he, <laughs> He says to me, good, good, because we're having a callback on Sunday. It's going to be you and the top members of Second City for two hours of improv. And I went home and I drove up the I-94, this, this you know, um, freeway up to my little town where I was from in Illinois because I was still living at home. And I went home and my parents, you know, my little parents from Holland were going, so how did it go? And um, I, I just kind of waved at him and I went up to my room and I started crying because I didn't know what the hell I was going to do because I'd never done improv in my life. So what I did was I just thought about what are the scenarios they're probably going to be. I thought it would be about the advertising world. So I thought it's probably going to be like wacky, like uh, pitches for an ad campaign and stuff like that. So I wrote a bunch of stuff and a bunch of jokes and it turned out to be exactly that. So I would just plug things in that I'd written and it looked like I was making it up on the fly and it worked like a charm and I, it got me into my first movie. Wow. That's a true story. 
That's brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. I, I was about to say I was an aficionado of Razor's Edge for a moment there. But, uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Swear by it. Yeah. 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 yeah, we killed. We killed just like the Razors in the caps on Peaky Blinders. Yeah. <laughs> well, you, you're clearly a comedian, Anthony. And you've, like I said, you've worked with Leslie Nielsen and Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld, yeah. obviously, in the Jimmy on, yeah. on oh, that. Yeah. I mean, that was experience that must have been oh that was lovely i just did a whole podcast on seinfeld that was a that was a thing unto itself and you know it's, it's a rare experience there's three experiences i've had where this is the case one is license to kill the the second is cheers and the third is seinfeld where you get to be on something that you were already a huge fan of oh i was wow, a huge yeah. bond i was a huge bond fan growing up so when i got to be in a bond movie i was just like <laughs> I don't believe it. It's happening, you know? And uh, uh, it was the same thing with Cheers. I was a huge fan of Cheers. And when I was on that set, I felt like it was an out-of-body experience. And the same thing with Seinfeld. You know, it was just like, here I am. I'm just, I'm playing with these guys and they're the funniest people around. So yeah, it was great. That guy was amazing. He could dunk. And he was my height. What was his name again? Jimmy. Jimmy. Right. I don't know how you could forget. He kept referring to himself in the third person. Jimmy's under the boards. Jimmy's in the open. Jimmy makes the shot. Hey, Jimmy! <laughs> Great game. Oh, yeah. Jimmy played pretty good. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I felt like we had a synergy out there. You know, like we were really helping each other. Now, what do you got there? These? Yeah. These are Jimmy's training shoes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I've seen these things. What are they? Uh, they make your legs stronger. Oh, yeah. Jimmy couldn't jump at all before he got these. Jimmy was like you. <laughs> the plyometric. Plyometric? Yeah, they isolate the muscles. The muscle has to grow or die. <laughs> where, where, where do you go? Jimmy sells them. You sell them? Oh, yeah. But Jimmy's all out right now. Moving to Manhattan set Jimmy back a bit. <laughs> Hey, listen, let me give me my card. It's got my home number on it. I want to buy the first pair when the next shipment comes in. All right. <laughs> All right, Jimmy, good talking to you. Huh? Here you go. Jimmy will see you around. And how much of that is improvised with Seinfeld? I know it is a bit more on Kirby it's, it's, it's very little, but uh, Larry David, it's not surprising now because of Curb, you and Curb Your Enthusiasm being almost all improvised. But it was strange in, in, in that day because usually writers, writer, producer, showrunners like Larry David are usually very controlling about the dialogue. They want the joke just as written and all this kind of thing. And there's, there's a reason for that because there's kind of precision to comedy. But Larry was the kind of guy also I could tell very early on that he just wanted something funny and he didn't care where it came from. And I'd learned by then that the best thing to do is to pitch or suggest a line or try a line during rehearsal while you're working it out during the day. And then there's always a run through at the end of the day with these multi-camera sitcoms. And then if they like it, they say, try it at the run through, see if you can make the writers laugh, you know, and if that happens, then it ends up in the show. So there's a few lines in there, like, you know, Jimmy's going into shock and uh, Jimmy loves the velvet <laughs> fog and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> those were, those were lines that I came up with. So that was oh, fun. Wow. Oh. Super, awesome. such a great character to play as well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah so, I yeah. find that I always find that menacing psychotics are funny. 
<laughs> the dark secret behind Jimmy, yeah. yeah right. I was just going to say, I'm guessing you find Fran Sanchez hilarious then, don't you? Oh, yeah. yeah. A, bar- a, bar- a barrel of monkeys, right? Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> we'll get on to it, my word. It is still recording, Rob, just to absolutely double check. 100%. I, I've, I've only checked every 25 seconds. Good luck. Okay. Because I, honestly, I can't, can't miss this. <laughs> So yeah, Anthony, you say obviously you were a Cheers fan, a Seinfeld fan, and you were a Bond fan growing up. Yes. So growing up, who was your, your favourite Bond and your favourite Bond films? Well, you know, um, I'm of that age where the, the one that I was most cognizant of was, you know, when I was a, a kind of just a kid, just old enough to kind of go see a Bond film, which is more in the 70s. So my initial reference was Roger Moore. Then I started to go back and find Sean Connery. You know, and and then, you know, saw that contrast, Um, you know, and prior to doing the film, I went back and, you know, this was the 80s. So like went to a blockbuster or whatever, got all the movies and rewatched them all, you know, and really discovered movies that are among my favorites now, like Thunderball. You know, Um, my my top five is probably because I'm a big Daniel Craig fan. I would probably put him at the top of my list for Bonds. But the thing is. I don't think you have a Daniel Craig or that approach to Bond without Tim Dalton. Yes. Because Tim totally Dalton yes. was the guy, and I talked to Tim about this, he really just went back to the books. He tried to like push the movies to the side, went back to the books, and he discovered that darker version of Bond, which makes total sense. I mean, because the guy, he has a license to kill, you know, pardon, yeah. you know, the, the, the title, but- um, <laughs> It's the but truth. A person who's, who's seeking that out on some level has got a, has, has got has has issues, <laughs> you yeah. know, and and he found that part of him. And I think that was was like a really fresh approach to Bond, and he made him made him badass because of that. But my problem, probably my top five, I think um, we we had a little exchange on this on Twitter. I don't know if it was yeah. you or somebody else, but my top five um, movies are probably Casino Royale, Skyfall, License to Kill, Thunderball, and The Spy Who Loved Me, which is my favorite wow. Roger Moore. Yeah. That's an amazing mix there. You've got yeah. three different yeah. bonds yeah. as well. No, four different bond actors. Yeah, super. <laughs> it's so strange. I I just um um read uh, Living Daylights. Fleming's Living Daylight. Uh, sorry, not Living Daylight. Oh. Sorry, um Live and Let Die. Yeah, the original Living oh, 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 Daylight. Okay. Yeah. Which thank you, John. Sorry, I was getting there. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I ran the house to get there. Yeah, that would have been a novelization, right? That was that was like, that was yeah. Was John Gardner okay. did the License to Kill novelization of right, um, right. thingy, but um yeah, what struck me was um how close Tim was to that source material. Mm in the coldness, but also the warmth, if that's even a possible thing to say. He managed yeah. to, to embody that duplicity of character, which James Bond has to have. Yeah, and, you know, the one thing I always wish that t- Tim had brought to the role, having gotten to know him a little bit, is that the guy is very funny, you know? Really? And I wish he'd brought, brought a little bit more of, a, like, a, I don't know, a kind of gallows humour to it. But I think he kind of thought, you know, no, I'm going in this direction. I'm, I'm, I'm going for a kind of more of a, of a realism here. Which is good because License to Kill is probably the most realistic and, mm. and of the moment Bond film. I mean, you've got a bad guy that's basically based on Pablo Escobar, yes. you know, yeah. And, yeah. And, and then just you know, a few kind of Bondanizing elements, you know, you know like of putting of dis, this dissolving of the cocaine into tanker trucks and then being able to extract it back out and that kind of thing. Mm. But it's, it's probably more plausible than, than other Bond films. Were you aware while you were making this Bond film, just one, how hard it was, you know, because it was a step away mm. from the usual Bond 
um, you know, where Bond had got to. I mean, I, we're all, uh, you know, documented fans of the likes of Octopussy, View to a Kill and uh, Living Daylights, which led up to Licence to Kill. But, I mean, this was a real step away. I mean, I personally, I was in, I've loved it my whole life. But yeah. were you aware that it was something that was going in a slightly different direction? I don't know. I, that, that's an interesting question. I'm not sure how different it was. I think I had a sense that it was more reality-based because it was so kind of ripped from the headlines. My character, for example, insider trading on Wall Street was a big, big deal at that time. Ivan Bosky and all these characters, all these characters that later inspired Michael Douglas's character of Gordon Gecko on Wall Street. Mm. This was all kind of brimming to the surface. And the, the character of Truman Lodge was sort of ahead of the curve about putting a per person like that in, in, in a movie. An interesting point that you guys may not know is that they had a whole backstory to Truman Lodge that ended up getting lopped out. Very briefly referred to as he's kind of getting off a plane on a tarmac or whatever yeah. when he's first introduced. There was a line where he says, yeah, you know, he got run out of the United States for insider trading. And um, I, I'm not sure how much of that made it into the film, but that was the backstory. And I was at a point in my development as an actor where I did, I would research anything I'd get my hands on. Because my acting teacher, Natalia Nogolich, who studied under Stella Adler, was very big on creating a backstory for your character, writing mm. these, I would write like 30, 40, 50 page bios, you know, a, a character biography. Uh, and because it said that, it, it said, you know, yeah, he was, he was kicked out of the United States for insider trading. And then he somehow hooked up with this Colombian drug lord uh, as a sort of CFO, you know, chief financial officer. So I took and I had I, I was cast a couple months in advance of doing it. So I took that information and I found friends to get me on the floor of the exchange, uh, the, the stock exchange in, um, in L.A. And then also I flew to New York and stayed at a friend's apartment and got onto the floor of the New York Stock Exchange just to kind of soak, just <laughs> so to kind of soak wow. up the world. Wow, and I found because I, I found out how crazy it is. You know, you'd think that, that 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 world, because of, you know, all the money involved and, and all the analytics involved, that it would be very cerebral and, and very calculating when it's when I got there and, and really observed these people and talked to them. It's it's almost all emotional that, 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 that the financial markets in the world are almost all based on guts and things like fear and greed. And wow. that was interesting. And, and so it kind of, it kind of, mm. it kind of gave me a little something for the guy as being kind of a super intense kind of live wire mm. of a guy that, that like that when he, things aren't going his way, he blows a gasket, Yeah, you know? Um, but yeah, that's, that's uh, what, what led into that. And uh, I should tell you a little bit about auditioning for it too. Yes, oh, please. please. Yeah, please. <laughs> that's that's yeah. interesting. Jane Jenkins and Janet Hershenson, major, major casting directors, who I had known from something and they later were the ones who uh, put me in uh, uh, Magnificent Seven also. Um, they, they were casting the film stateside. I went in, they didn't have a lot of material to read from the script. So they gave us um, uh, sides, you know, a bit of material from a, a kind of mini series that was out called the Billionaire Boys Club, which was a true story about these uh, corrupt, uh, you know, young uh, entitled uh, white boys who were doing something scandalous. I don't know what anymore. And, and uh, I, so I, I read this scene and I kind of found this kind of odd take on the guy because I, I, it seemed kind of dry the material. I, I know for example, they had a lot of people in reading for it. Cause I, I asked Jane if I could look at the tape because I, it wasn't, 
I was not in those days. In those days, you usually got into the room first with people to read for them. Now everything's kind of on videotape and then maybe you meet people later. But then it was just on tape and they were just going to send the tapes over to John Glenn. And um, so I read and I asked if I could look at it quick and she was queuing it up. And I saw that the person who had read before me was Billy Zane. Um, oh, wow. later no. Famous no. on Titanic. So they, they had a lot of like the up and comer actors coming in for that. But I read it and I'm like, OK, that's cool. So they sent it over to John Glenn. Then I was to meet him. And what was beautiful about this is I didn't have to read again. He liked the reading. That was good enough for him. He just wanted to meet me, That's you know, cool. to see if he was That's someone cool. he could talk Brilliant. with and deal with and whatever. So I just had to meet him, sat and talked with him. And I wasn't quite sure what to say. And so I, I did, you know, it's sort of like almost like a dating technique where you flip the conversation <laughs> back yeah, on the yeah. other person, yeah, yeah. Very good. you know, <laughs> you know. And so I, I before I knew it, I had him talking to me for about 15 minutes about his days in the Royal Air Force. <laughs> wow, you know, and I was, I was like not saying anything. And I was like, okay. and so apparently, you know, I left. He was like, oh, I like him, you know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so then he he had me back in, and I kept wearing the same clothes that I was wearing from the first audition, same suit or whatever, because that was something I learned from an auditioning book. And then I came in, and then I again just met him and Barbara Broccoli, Michael Wilson, and Albert Broccoli, aka Cubby Broccoli. Had a nice conversation with them. They decided that I was pleasant enough to hire. That's <laughs> terrifying, though. It's just seeing yeah, those people. Yeah, amazing. But I didn't have to read from them again. That was okay, the yeah, beauty yeah. of it. So, I, you know, because usually, you know, with American productions, it's like, read. Now read it again. Now read it again. And particularly, like, with sitcoms and stuff, it gets less funny every time you read it because everybody's heard it already. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know? So um, it was actually a very pleasant process. That's wow. really cool. Yeah. And was that in the U.S.? Oh, good. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was in the that was in L.A. All, all of it was right here. And you filmed a lot of it in Mexico, didn't you? As well, that was interesting. <laughs> I filmed I filmed all my stuff in Mexico. Um, they filmed in Key West for a little bit, and I was out of that. And um, then every the whole production moved over to Mexico, and then I was in all of that. And um, because uh, it's you know as you can tell from watching the film, I come in a little later in the movie, but then I'm mm-hmm. kind of all through to the end, which was which was great. So I was down there for over a month, maybe close to two, I'm not sure. And um, it was it was an adventure. We were at Churubusco Studios in, in uh, Mexico City. And uh, then we were uh, in the mountains in Toluca, Mexico, you know, uh, where they had the, you know, the, the big, you know, the, the, the whole operation going on. That, that's where that was filmed. And then we were in Acapulco, which is kind of where Sanchez's house was. And then we were in Mexicali where, where all the tanker trucks uh, chase scenes were, oh, man. you know, so it was, it oh, was, man. uh, it was a blast. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it was. And I guess the long days and does that mean there's, there's any chance for partying and things like that going on? <laughs> there was, there was, uh, I, 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 I found time. Um, no, I, I had a lot of fun because you know, when, when you're not the main guy, you've got more time you know, to go water skiing in Acapulco, you know, and stuff like that. I one time, I one time said to, to Tim Dalton, I, 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 was, I was 25. I was kind of, kind of dumb, you know, and I, I said, to him, you know, it was like, it was like a, a Saturday night, you know, and sometimes we'd have a dinner on Saturday night because it was a six day shoot week, you know, and then just Sunday off. So Saturday night, sometimes, you know, people would gather for a dinner. And I said to him, so, you know, kind of like, what have you been up to this week? And he looked at me and kind of went, I've been working. 
<laughs> and I'm like, well, that's right. You're James Bond in the James Bond movie. You know, um, I've, been, I, I've been I've been drinking. You know, so uh, <laughs> so uh, yeah. He was a he was a busy boy, much more than I. Well, I was going to ask about John Glenn. Yeah, I, I feel he's really underappreciated in. Well, the world of cinema, really, actually, um, his contribution um, and what recollections you have of working with him and what it was like. You know, he's he's kind of he's he's sort of um, stylistically in terms of his set presence, kind of sort of typical of a lot of guys that I've known who come from his background, which is directing directing second unit. You know, they 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 they, they set things up, you know, and then they hit the first domino you know, and let it go because that's, you know, when you're used to directing action, that's how that works. There's not a lot of sitting around and um, contemplating one's navel about character motivation and that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. You know, I mean, yeah. it's the, he kind of he left the actors alone, which I love because it allowed me to kind of do things like, you know, my last line before I get shot, <laughs> <laughs> all, all that was on the page was another $80 million write-off. Okay, and I, I just went brilliant. Well done, Franz. Another eighty million dollars. You know, yes. you know, you know. And I did everything but tell him to blow me. And, and, and you know, because I, I was doing it for Sanchez. You know, I wanted him to you know look more justified in shooting me twelve times across the oh, chest. Oh, you did. Oh, and that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You already come in, I'm afraid. <laughs> oh no. Get. Well done, Franz. Another $80 million write-off. I guess it's time to start turning overhead. <laughs> that's, another, that's another funny story, as I'm getting squibbed up for that, because I had, like, I don't know, five, six squibs across my chest as he strafes me with a machine gun. British crew, all um, very polite and everything on the set, very nice, you know, always refer to you as sir and all this kind of thing, which I wasn't used to from American crews. And, um, you know, all very buttoned down and everything until you're going out with them later that night, which I spent a lot of my time doing. And then, <laughs> <laughs> did they, did they know how to have a, have a little refreshment? Uh, yes, yes, I did. You know, and if I hadn't, I would have learned. And, and, uh, <laughs> but, but this guy, he's, he's running these squibs up my chest. You know, I'm getting a little nervous. I'd never had you know, uh, adhesive explosives attached to my body before, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, 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 uh, and he's kind of down, he's kind of down on his, on his knees, like in front of me, like, you know, stringing this thing along my chest. And I look down at him, I go, you know, this, this is not going to burn me, is it? <laughs> and he looks up and he goes, he goes, uh, well, uh, no, it, <laughs> It shouldn't, no, sir. <laughs> and, just, and just keeps working. And I was like, okay, you've filled me with confidence now. And so, you know. Oh, yeah. wow. And when I got shot, I go flying back. And <laughs> I'm not that far from an actual tanker truck that's in blazes. Yeah. And it's so hot. I was like laying there waiting for them to yell cut because my one arm was kind of behind me like this. And it was just that much closer to the tanker truck. 
Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. And it felt like it was on fire because that's how much heat was coming off that thing. And that is to me is the exciting thing about James Bond movies is the amount of practical stunts in our age of CGI and everything. There's nothing like a practical stunt for, for excitement. And that all that stuff was practical. When you see a truck, you know, flying off a road and narrowly missing a plane, that's what you just saw. So yeah. it, the shot lasted a bit yeah. longer because uh, Sanchez was obviously stunned your foot, wasn't he, to to get the yeah, 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 he stood on my arm, I believe. You know, yeah. I, I don't think that was in the script, but you know, hey, I was improvising Those lovely too. shoes. Yeah, yeah, right. Those lovely brogues. That you, yeah, well, right. Brogues, I don't know what they were. They were delicious. <laughs> So, so what was he like, Robert Darby? We want to know uh, about Robert, uh, Robert's an excellent actor uh, and, uh, you know, brought a lot to that role. I can see why he's a fan favorite. He's also he's also a, a great singer. He's classically trained. He would sing little bits of opera on the set, you know, <laughs> you know, and uh, we would, you know, kind of talk about vocal exercises and stuff like that. I didn't hang out with him much, though. I mostly hung out with the crew, as I mentioned, and... Uh, uh, a woman named Sita White, who was in the publicity department, who sadly is no longer with us. Um, a little bit with Benicio del Toro, and I got to be really good friends with Kerry Tagawa, who I, yeah. who I oh, knew, for, I... Knew, for, knew for quite a while after that. I haven't seen him in, in a bit, but um, great actor. And you should see uh, The Man in the High Castle if yes. you haven't seen that. He's, yeah. he's great in that. Yeah. Mate, I, I, Anthony, I'm, I'm a massive fan of uh, Kerry Tagawa. Um, his career is just so long and storied and varied as well. And I, I, I didn't know whether you were going to mention him tonight, but because uh, I don't know, you share one scene together in the movie as well, don't you? I think um, I don't the... even remember. He just, he, I just liked his vibe. He's got this really cool, chill oh. vibe to him. That he, he's like this kind of Zen master in real really? life. He really is oh, like that. Oh, and what's interesting because. You know, he's, he's not from Japan. I think he was raised in Oklahoma. Okay. Seriously, I didn't know that at all. <laughs> he's, he's just got the, he's got, it's, it's almost like a chill kind of cowboy vibe that he's got. But no he way. knows a lot about Japanese culture. I, I think he's, you know, fluent Japanese speaker, but, you know, uh, not from there. And um, just a very interesting guy, interesting vibe, funny. And an interesting kind of, um, particularly in those, in those days, this is 30 years ago, because I grew up, studying martial arts. I knew a lot of Koreans, for example. And when I was growing up, they were all rather small, you know, and now I train in Koreatown doing kickboxing. And a lot of these kids, you know, like I say, kids, you know, maybe 25 or whatever, <laughs> a lot, they're, they're routinely over six feet, 
So, you know, I mean, things change, you know, diets change and stuff like that. And people get bigger and stuff. But he was kind of a big dude, you know, for, for an Asian guy, you know, back in the 80s. And he just kind of phys- physiqued out, you know what I mean? So he's an interesting looking guy. He's got, he's got, he's got this great face, doesn't he? Oh, he's, you know? yeah, yeah. You know, and um, yeah. uh, really, really, just really love the guy. Just really good dude. That's awesome to hear. That. He'd so make cool. a great main villain, I think. In a Bond film. <laughs> oh, sure he would. Sure he would. Yeah. Yeah. We can raise the price. 22,000 per kilo this month. I like that. We need your Yeah, this is Truman Lodge. 22,000. Our goal today is to raise $22,000 from each of our meditation chapters. That's 22,000 each. Go to your phones. Please help us. Bless your heart. Listen to this. Our wonderful Manhattan Chapel has just made a special $500 pledge. 500 kilos. I thank you. I knew they'd go for it. This guy cracks me up. What a night. We've got children going. Yes, he's right here. We've got senior citizens calling in, sending them. Yeah. I got a British sucker who dropped a quarter of a million, and he wants to play no limit. Which one? Table two. We don't want you to give. Plays like a real jerk off. That's the guy that flew it in the private plane today. Opened the account at the bank. Five million dollars in cash. Goes to the restoration of this magnificent Let him play. Our Chicago chapel has just received a one thousand dollar donor pledge. They all accepted the new price. A special pledge from the Windy City. Yes, he's right here. Out by Lake Shore Drive. Thank you, Chicago. Bless your hearts. See, the British guy is a quarter of a million ahead. Should I close the table? No. Just going back to the sort of scenes you have on the phone when he's sort of arranging with um, Wayne Newton, all those stuff. We thought you can clearly, you've, you've put some thought into your character with the whole yeah. messing about with this ball or whatever it is you've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, um, it's funny. Like later, um, when I did The Magnificent Seven, I played a guy who was a Southern Riverboat gambler. I actually trained with a, an actor who's also a magician by the name, a British guy by the name of Steve Valentine, really good actor, really nice guy. And, but he used to work at, in those days at the magic castle and he used to do a lot of up close sleight of hand. And, and so I learned a lot of, 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 of manipulating cards with one hand and stuff like that. But at that time I was just thinking about the character and thinking he does a lot of just sort of thinking. He's just sort of sitting and thinking, how do you, how do you, how do you visualize that? So I was thinking about that and I thought I, 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 I used to watch a lot of old film noir movies and there was always a, like a bit where some of these gangsters would have a quarter yeah, and they would roll yeah. it, yeah. kind of roll it along the tops of their fingers. And, and, you know, cause I used to love Humphrey Bogart movies like the Maltese Falcon and stuff like that. And there was always some, yeah. you know, mug, some hooligan, some, some guy with a, with a busted nose who was, you know, standing behind, the 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 capo the the main you know mobster you know rolling a, a, a you know a quarter or a half dollar like that i uh had gotten into this game called smash ball which is like a beach game where you hit it's like a paddle ball with these like fluorescent balls you know that me and my girlfriend used to go to the beach and, and play this game and i had one of these yellow smash balls it was like it just like, like a spongy little ball and I thought, what if this guy, what if he had this thing in his hand all the time and it was sort of like a stress reliever? And then I just started twiddling it between my fingers like that, rolling it back and forth like that. And I thought, yeah, I like this. So I, I kept it. And, and, and again, 
John Glenn didn't stop me. Great. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Anthony. Can I just ask about this? Because this is an amazing thing. Because what I think, what I think, one of the amazing things about License to Kill is the amount of henchmen there are. Yeah. Who all seem to have their own characteristics. They don't get lost. There's so many memorable ones. And I think you've probably answered the question already. Because I was going to ask, is it was it John Glenn's direction? But I think it probably just sounds really more like he just let you get on with it and you just had a right. great pool of actors on that show. Would that be right that, in saying that? Yeah, you're absolutely correct. That's absolutely correct. I think there's, you know, it's, it's a lesson to be learned by directors that that if you trust your casting and lean on it and let your actors, you know, take care of their department and their department is their character. Yeah. It's, it's just when it's not working in the overall context of the story that you need to stand in and say, hey, take it this way or that way. But not enough directors just let the actor go until it becomes a problem because sometimes you can start to think, God, I, I wasn't expecting him to do that. And then all of a sudden you can go, oh, but I like it. I'll never forget one time on the on that show inside the actor's studio with James Lipton. He asked uh, Anthony Hopkins, you know, one of my favorites of all time. He asked him, uh, "What do you want from a director?" And Hopkins said, "To be left alone." Yes. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought, wow, that's great. And you know, I might have been younger when I saw that, and and, and kind of felt like, oh boy, that's um, I I would never say that but I would say it now because I've been acting for 35 years and I would, I, some, I just some, sometimes would just like to be left alone and be allowed to do my thing. And you can concentrate on where you're going to put the camera. Uh, but yeah, uh, you know, John Glenn let us do stuff like that, which was great. Well, the was, actors like, like Tim, especially the, you know, like your class, you're trained as well, aren't you? You've, you're, you've grown up a properly trained actor and he's classically trained actor Obviously, oh, there's a lot of respect for people like that, and he would normally be like, "Well, that you're, I'm a director, you're an actor, get on with it." <laughs> uh, well, yeah, you yeah, know, I, I think you know, Tim was 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 pretty, you know, low key on a set, and um, I don't think he had any problems with, with John Glenn. Certainly, uh, yeah, talk about classically trained and all that. And speaking of Anthony Hopkins, they both were their first movie was the same movie. They were both uh, in The Lion in Winter. It was oh, yeah, their of first course, movie. Yeah. And um, uh, he was, I think, Prince Philip, the uh, sort of Dauphin, the prince from France, I think. Uh, and, and, and I think, I think um, uh, Tim was maybe 20 or something, you know? Yeah. Wow. You know, and- He's been uh, around uh, for yeah. so long. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there was, there was, there was a lot of um, really good actors who knew what they were doing on that one. Yeah. Was there a moment during out during all this this whole period of shooting where you thought, "Oh my God, this is real," and the scale of what you were involved with hit hit you at all? Was that before, during, after? Maybe. Well, is it okay, right now of... talking to us? <laughs> <laughs> well, well a, co a couple of things. A couple of things. I mean, in a couple of stories, I want to tell you too. I, I would say I would say it was a couple of things where it hit me that this is real. One was, uh, you know, when they were blowing up the tanker trucks Ugh. and we were out there in the desert in Mexicali. I mean, the size of these explosions, I just thought, wow, I am on a James Bond movie. Another thing was I was so I, I flew to the premiere um, in London oh, really? <laughs> and uh, Princess Diana and Prince Charles were there. <laughs> it's just incredible. <laughs> they were sitting a few few rows behind me. I'm from a little town. I'm from a little town in northern Illinois and I'm watching this thing. Just hoping I don't suck. And, <laughs> and it gets to the end credits. 
and <laughs> Patti LaBelle's singing if, you, if You'd Ask Me To. And yeah. I could have burst into tears because I wasn't embarrassed from, yes. from me in front of royalty, you know, literally in front of royalty. And um, <laughs> I, it was just like, wow, I'm here. And I wasn't in the receiving line with, uh, you know, Charles and Diana. Sadly, I can't say that I actually met them, but I was like a couple feet. I was in the line behind that line a couple feet behind them. So I got to like eavesdrop on the little conversations they were having. And I got to see that being a Royal is kind of an odd sort of job, you know, where you have to kind of meet all these people at all these events and have something to say and find a way oh, to engage yeah. them and then yeah. break away from them without being rude. And Prince Charles was really good at it. He had yeah. this, he, he would have some guy sort of whispering in his ear, you know, saying, um, so this is the uh, head of the. Uh, uh, this is the uh, head of the. Uh, this, this is the head stunt coordinator, and and, uh, and and then Charles would kind of go. So I understand you're the stunt coordinator. Uh, wow, he's heard of uh, me, you know. I, uh, I, uh, he's obviously I, uh, a massive I, Bond I, fan, you know. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't suppose you uh, go falling out of planes and all that sort of business. No, no one's setting you on fire, uh, you know. And, uh, um, and uh, no, sir, I've got people for that. And, um, you know, in a little chat, and he goes, oh, uh, hopefully one won't uh, call in sick for work. And, and you know, and then the guy would, the guy would laugh a little bit. And then as he's laughing, Charles would move to the next person. Oh, he did, and he, so he, tough, he, it? he did that like, and I was like, that's like a magic trick. You know, <laughs> Diana, was, Diana was sort of next to him, kind of true to her reputation, sort of shyly kind of looking at people, not saying much, but clearly she, she felt to me like I felt like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. This is going to make and, me sound very, very weird, but um, I actually watched that red carpet today. Um, oh, you know, in, right. yeah, I did. It's on YouTube, so I watched it today. Um, so yeah, I uh, so I could very much picture what you're talking about there, Anthony. Yeah. So it was that was fantastic. And the other story I have to tell you guys is, um, I didn't have a whole lot of time to really get to know Tim Dalton on the film, and I was thinking to myself, should I tell this story? It's uh, uh, I don't know, but oh. it's so damn it's so damn funny. I have to tell you. So. Um, I didn't really get the chance to know him all that well during the movie because, you know, he was, he was working. And, um, <laughs> and uh, so, but we got wrapped on the same day, okay? And so they put us on a, on a plane very early in the morning from, I think from Mexico City to LA. Very early morning flight, rather short flight. I, there I got for at least a couple of hours, maybe two, three hours, I got to sit on, on a plane in first class next to Tim Dalton, oh. okay? And I finally got a chance to kind of talk to him about things because I'd been observing him, but I hadn't talked to him a whole lot. I was 25 at the time. I think he was 42, which seemed incredibly ancient to me. You know, just this, this, this old, this, how's this old man doing all this stuff? Because he was very handy, did a lot of his own stunts, pretty much all of his own fighting, was very kind of uh, agile and athletic, you know? And I was kind of impressed by that because I've always been a gym rat and I was a martial artist and I was just watching how he moved and I was impressed. I'd never seen him do anything more strenuous to warm up other than perhaps light a cigarette, you know, <laughs> um, <because laughs> we were all smoking in those days because the Surgeon General's warning had only been out for about 25 <laughs> yeah. years. And, 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 <laughs> and, 
news traveled very slowly in the 20th century. So, but anyway, so I, I, I was very curious about that. And so I said to him, you know, you know, you're, you're, I said to him, Tim, you know, you're, you're very handy with the stunts. Do you have, uh, you know, do you have some kind of a workout regimen? And he looked off very thoughtfully and said, well, I used to fuck a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but even that's dwindled off a bit. So no, I suppose I don't. And I just thought that was one of the funniest things anyone ever said to me. And he said it so in such British fashion, it was so dry, you know, <laughs> you know almost, almost wistful, <laughs> you know, you know um, it, like it almost brought a tear to his eye. You know? and, uh, and, uh, those days yeah, of yore. Those days yeah. of yore, exactly. Yeah. And uh, so, so we, the, the plane lands, we both go to baggage claim. I come step out on the curb. He comes out on the curb and he sees me kind of looking like trying to hail a taxi. And he says to me, did they not send you a car? I said, uh, well, no. I said, you know, you're, you're James Bond in the James Bond movie. I, I'm just like, you know, me, me. And he goes, oh, and this big white stretch limo pulls up. He goes, come on. So he invites me into his limo, says where you live. And I lived off the Sunset Strip, not from far from where he was. And he goes, come on, we'll, we'll take you home. Which right there. Okay, I just want to share that story because what a great yeah. guy, right? Yeah. Right. So we're sitting there. We're in there. And he starts looking around. He finds this nice bottle of scotch that they had in the back of the limo. <laughs> pours us each about a neat two fingers. And to, to, he picks up a glass and goes, well, it's a license to kill. Clink. Oh. And that's how, the, that's how the movie ended for me. And then he brings me, oh, oh, brought man, me I, to, I, my, to my apartment building, <laughs> waves me off. And there, there he goes. And that was the end of the movie for me. How's that? Uh, so Anthony, that is the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm done. I'm done. Oh. I'm done. I'm out. Timothy, <laughs> Timothy Dalton. Anthony, Timothy Dalton is my absolute favorite James Bond. Yeah. And I never thought I could love him anymore. <laughs> so, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. No, I, I wanted to share that story because, first of all, it shows two things. He's funny, number one. And number two, uh, uh, a, good, a good guy. Nice man. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so cool, man. Um, it's so good that you're actually being asked to go in a car and you don't get shot like you do in the film. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. At, that, at that point, it was, for, it was refreshing. Yes. <laughs> I, I don't, I, I feel like I've asked too many questions, but I wonder whether I could ask no. one more, if that's yeah, okay. Please. About Bond fandom since then and how the Bond world has treated you since then, both um, in an official sense and um, just fans like we are. You know, um, you're obviously part of a huge legacy. I mean, for myself, Anthony, um, the legacy of Licence to Kill is I was married in 2013 and I was in prolonged discussions with Liverpool's meteorological office as to whether I could um, jump out of the sky to my wedding like Bob oh and Felix. <laughs> so, um, and they turned us down. Uh, so I was going oh. to try and do it with my brother. who was. And my I'm best sure man. your wife was greatly relieved. Yeah, she yeah she found out quite late in proceedings, yeah. but uh, yeah yeah yeah. 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 Uh, but so I mean, this is the kind of fandom you inspired with what you've done yeah. with this movie. How has that corresponded to everything that's happened since? Well, you know what's funny about my career and my life, you'd think uh, that 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 this would be a common experience for me. I think this is the first podcast cast I've ever ever done. Um, 
<laughs> You're one of us now, Anthony. You're one of us. Yeah. Now. <laughs> uh, uh, related specifically to License to Kill. I mean, it's come up in other podcasts I've done, but it's the first Bond one. I've never been to a Bond convention. Uh, I was in, 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 invited to one once and then it kind of fell through. Um, the only thing I've ever done is uh, there's a like a, a like a playing card uh, a fan autograph card company, you know, that, that, that does them. And, you know, so I sign cards and, you know, I, I get I get, you know, a couple of bucks per, per card <laughs> that I sign or whatever. I've done that a couple of times. I'm not doing it anymore because have you ever signed your own name like a thousand times? <laughs> I, 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 I thought I was going to walk into a into a into a donut shop with an automatic weapon you know screaming i'm not what i'm not, I'm not what daddy wanted you know I, I thought I, 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 this wasn't what he came to acting for that's, that's, an, old, that's an old sam kinnison joke by the way I, but no i thought i thought my head was going to explode the, the funny thing is it's not been that much it's not been that much interaction so this is fun we want to get license say- to kill properly yeah. on the menu again my word well and i appreciate that guys because it was very sad for us for me personally that the movie didn't do bigger box office and all this kind of stuff it really yeah. was not a, a even a career boost for me which was really disappointing because i'm like oh my gosh i'm in a i'm in a bond film what do you want folks hollywood is like that it's like who's who's racking up the big numbers this week and it was a it was a crazy summer because right before we came out you had the first Batman movie with Michael Keaton yeah. and Lethal Weapon 2, which was huge, came out right yeah. before us. You know, I mean, um, I, my understanding is I think we were the number one film in Denmark. But, you know, that 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 in 450 will get you a latte in Los Angeles, you know. So, uh, <laughs> um, but uh, so it's really nice that you guys are sort of um, burnishing the legacy of this film because I think it's well deserved because I've honestly felt it's one of the better bond movies ever made oh 100%. it's it's legitimately in my Absolutely. top five and the fact that you guys are putting it at the top of the list is much appreciated anthony we're not just saying this we, we genuinely mean it we have absolutely loved this film from the first time we've talked about it and you are very much a big part of that reason and yeah, yeah. Thank, you. thank you thank you thank yeah, you very much it's huge so, it, no it's huge yeah. it's it's like um uh, a life affirming to us in a way to have this conversation yeah. so you it know really it, is. Yeah. it really is it, uh, yeah i think i think one of the problems that license to kill kill had was the audience perhaps wasn't ready for it uh, you know we saw what happened 20 years later with um casino royale they were yeah, perhaps ready to you know it was a, was license to kill ahead of its time it was ahead of its time you know but the thing is the script and, and I think Michael Michael Wilson co-wrote that one yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and it was a conscious choice it's just like we're, we're going to make this real here and I think that's why you guys like it so much it was ahead of its time in a sense but in terms of screenwriting it was right on the moment it was mm-hmm. very of its time all yes, the yeah. things you know were very of its time so um, but sometimes uh, fans of a genre get habituated to a certain kind of a film and it takes them a while to catch up with it and i think that's what what has happened with this film it happened with honor majesty's secret service it took like what 34 years for people to really appreciate it and i think right. i mean it's 30 years since license to kill now and I, I, it was in the top 10 of that recent poll on twitter so it's it's clearly doing something right isn't it yeah and you know interesting story interesting showbiz story george lazenby was sitting waiting in a hong kong bar in uh, July 20th, 1973, he was supposed to have a, a big meeting for a film with the star of the film, but the star 
had just suddenly passed away while taking a nap, and, and the star of the film was Bruce Lee. Oh wow! Oh yeah. wow! <laughs> he was he was he had gotten together with Raymond. I'm a big Bruce Lee fan. There's a great um, biography of him called Bruce Lee: A Life by Matthew Polly. Amazing book. But on the day he died, Raymond Chow and George Lazenby were were supposed to have a meeting about setting up a film with Bruce Lee. No way. 1973. Yeah. Yep, yep. incredible. Just um, a totally uh, superfluous to an actual Bond chat. But what about Brandon Lee? Where do you start? You know, how do you feel about Brandon? I'm a huge Brandon uh, Lee fan. You know, it was. You know, if you ever, um, if you ever saw the movie Dragon, you know, which mm. was released after Brandon died, mm. but filmed and edited before he died, mm. and 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 in that space between making a film and releasing it, Brandon Lee died. And so when you watch that film and realize that, and you see all this stuff about, and a lot of it was sort of um, embellishment or whatever, in, in a yes. way of you know pulling the story along, but to have that storyline in there of Bruce Lee feeling like he had this curse hanging over him, yes. and there was this some kind of demonic energy that was menacing him and his son, yeah. he was trying to protect yeah, his yeah. son. It's crazy. When I yeah. saw that movie, I the chills I got were unbelievable. You know, yeah. because oh, I can it was, um, yeah, I remember uh, going to see The Crow. I was, uh, I, uh, was doing the George Carlin show at that time. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and it, was <laughs> it, was, it was produced by Sam Simon, who was one of the creators of The Simpsons. And Sam was very, uh, he just passed away not long ago um, from cancer. And Sam was um, very depressed about some stuff. And me and my, you know, girlfriend at the time went and picked him up and took him to a movie. So we, we took him to see the crow. So I, 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 I saw the crow. Good choice. The crow. The crow with a very depressed Sam Simon. To tie it neatly back round to, to to James Bond, a, a huge fan of obviously Brandon Lee. Brandon Lee being in Showdown Little Tokyo, where the head villain was Kari Tagawa. So oh, right, right, right. Oh, wow. yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I love that movie as well, man. <laughs> That's so. where we were going all along. Oh, very all good. along. I, I, this was a plant, Anthony. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no, yeah. it wasn't. It yeah. wasn't. You're a, you're a chess player. <laughs> yeah. And I want business. that on my tombstone now, please. Yes. That's okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, great stuff, Anthony. Um, thank you very much for for coming yeah. on this podcast. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's been a blast. It's been a blast. It's brilliant. It's you know, long, long live so uh, the, the James Bond franchise and long live License to Kill. And yeah. uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael Wilson, I, you know, I'd love to do another one. Just, just, you know. Oh, yes. You know, these guys have my information. <laughs> <laughs> you know, did you hear that, guys? We've got Anthony yeah. Stocks. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. No one, no one cares. <laughs> we care. We oh, care. Yeah, guys right. here <laughs> really do. Really the best.
deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.